everyone. Welcome to your newest episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with your host, myself, Laura Matsu, and my husband, Bernhard Gunther. And today we're going to dive into an extremely important topic, which is how your core beliefs shape your life. So if you're ever someone who wondered why some people tend to, th things come easy to them, and for others it's a struggle, if you ever wondered why there are certain persistent themes and patterns in your life that seem to repeat and you s seem to not be able to break out of them, if that's you, then this podcast will have a lot of great info for you. And in general, a lot of us are unconsciously guided by core beliefs, which we don't realize are shaping our experience of the world. So in this podcast, we're going to dive into the concept of core beliefs, what they are, how they shape our view of the world, where we get them from, looking at personal conditioning, ancestral conditioning, cultural conditioning, as well as conditioning that can happen on a soul level from past lifetimes in the second hour. So we're going to go really deep with this topic. We're going to cover it from various different angles and levels. So if you're someone who really wants to break out of very deeply embedded patterns that are basically affecting your life, usually in a way that are not helping you, then listen to this podcast because we're going to cover a lot. Um, but before we get into that, we just have two quick announcements. So a lot of people have been asking when our next course is going to be, especially with me on Instagram. So we are going to launch the next round on January 8th. However, we are already going to start taking registration for that sometime in basically the second week of October approximately. Um, and we're going to open applications then. Yes. Okay, good. Just checking. And then and then as well, Bernhard also has a masterclass coming up. And maybe you can just share a little bit about that masterclass as well. Yeah, a little master. Like it's kind of mini course, so to speak. Goes goes over three weekends for over three Saturdays. And it's about how to create abundance in alignment of divine will, really cutting through scarcity consciousness to create more abundance, prosperity in your life. I know this is a big, big topic, especially nowadays for many people. And uh, I've gone through my own process, cutting through the matrix poverty scarcity program, so to speak, which actually also ties into core beliefs, unconscious core beliefs. Yeah, definitely. So we'll be addressing that as well. So I'll be announcing that also in October, like little mini course over three weekends, how to create abundance in alignment with divine will. I've put a lot of work already into it, over 190 slides. So it's going to be a deep dive. And um, if you want to more, more, know more about it and be notified when I release it, sign up to my mailing list at veilofreality.com. That course will start sometime in November, uh, that mini course. And as Laura mentioned, the big one, our 14-week in-depth group coaching program, Embodied Soul Awakening, the next round will start early January. And we take also, the, we start the enrollment application process for that also in sometime in October. So yeah, so basically, if you want to be notified, if you want just to be notified for the course, just go to www.thetimeoftransition.com. And just click on sign up to the waiting list and add your name to the waiting list. Because last time, 
when we did this, we, I think we pretty much filled up with just people on the waiting list. So we barely talked about it on social media. So if you want to make sure that you're notified when yeah. we open applications, I highly, highly recommend being on the waiting list for this one. And then for Bernhard's um, master our program, three week program, which is going to be on about creating abundance in alignment with divine will, go to veilofreality.com and sign up to his newsletter if you're not on it already. And then you can Excellent. learn more about that. Exactly. Okay, Perfect. so yeah, let's get into it. So let's just first talk about what are core beliefs. So core beliefs tend to be underneath the surface of our triggers. They tend to be underneath the repeated stories that we tell ourselves. And just for most people's, they're under most people's conscious awareness. And regardless of whether they're conscious or not, which usually they're unconscious for most people until they uh, engage in some degree of inner work. These core beliefs have such a great influence on our lives. They shape your view of the world. They shape, shape your perception of the world. They shape your perce perception of yourself. They shape your perception of relationships. They shape your perception about money. They shape your perception about success, like everything. So where do we get these core beliefs from? Um, we get conditioned into them, especially from our family of origin, from our parents, but even from our extended family, um, from the town we grew up in, we can be influenced um, through the culture of the town we grew up in. From the country we grew up in, we'll have certain dominant core beliefs. Um, we also can pick them up unconsciously from our ancestors. And also we can pick them up from our cultural, the culture that we grew up in as well. So we have all this various kind of programming being thrown at us from different angles that, you know, some of it can be valuable, but for a lot of people, they experience this as very limiting, which is where they come against a core belief. And so the issue is, is that many of us unconsciously operate in the world through the filter of our core beliefs. And these really affect our perceptions of ourselves and our perceptions of the world. Yeah. And I would also add to that, not only our perceptions and views of the world unconsciously, but also our actions, our behaviors. And we, in this particular instance, uh, as Laura just mentioned, we talk specifically about quote unquote negative core beliefs that are also can result in unconscious self-sabotage patterns or diminishing yourself or keep you stuck in life. And Unless you're already engaged in deeper self-work and have a certain level of self-awareness, you will not be aware of it at all, actually. And you may actually just blame the outside, getting easy into the victim blame trap, but you're driven by unconscious core beliefs. Yeah, so just to give a quick example of this in practice, because I grew up in a family where my parents divorced when I was very young. It was a very hostile and vicious divorce. It was not a friendly divorce in, what, in any way whatsoever. And so unconsciously, as I grew up, I had many core beliefs about relationships and how relationships could be and should be that were very detrimental to my own life. So I felt that relationships had to be really aggressive with lots of fighting all the time. I felt that you know, even true love to me seemed almost out of reach because it wasn't something I experienced. And so I didn't realize this for most of my teens and 20s, 
But if, for example, someone who had secure attachment, who was healthy and maybe would be a good influence for me in relationships, I would unconsciously self-sabotage that relationship because it didn't correspond with the core belief that I held within myself that relationships were meant to be dramatic and hostile and aggressive and dangerous, basically. Mm -hmm. So this is all happening under the surface as I didn't realize why I was doing this. And I didn't realize why I was sabotaging healthy relationships. But then as I started to unpack how the divorce affected me, how seeing my parents be like that with each other affected me as a child, I started to realize, wow, I'm unconsciously being driven driven by a lot of beliefs about relationships based on this uh, core experience I had as a child. Yeah, I would even say with relationships, that's a whole big topic in itself, but a lot of relationship issues, problems, struggle, um, you know, getting with the wrong quote-unquote person is or are based on these unconscious core beliefs. Yes. I always say, you know, we have talked about this before, that we actually don't choose any partner consciously for the most part, unless you're more engaged in, in inner work, but unconsciously based on unconscious core beliefs. We yeah. are attracted to certain people yeah. that may be, seem differently on the outside personality picture or impression but it's driven by something unconsciously completely different, right? Yeah. And then we also attract people to us that, that eventually match this unconscious core belief. Yeah. And like you just mentioned, it's very important to understand, I feel, with core beliefs that they get imprinted very early in life. Again, these critical, this critical age from zero to seven, right? Yeah. Even just by, not, not necessarily even how our parents or caretakers treated it, but what we observe, yeah, I right. think the deepest, most hardwired ones happen early on in life, but they can also happen through culture as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that can, it's kind of like twofold. So if you don't have a solid, great relationship with at least one of your parents growing up, meaning you don't have secure attachment with one of them, then what tends to happen is you get raised by culture. And then you pick up all these cultural core beliefs as well, because the initial place of belonging is supposed to happen in your family of origin. So if you don't feel that belonging, that safety in your family of origin, what usually happens is you get raised by culture, which is what Gabor Mate talked about in Hold On To Your Kids. So... Yeah, so the core, I mean, if, if, if you're like me and you had core beliefs about relationships, the easiest way as an exercise to find out what core beliefs you may be holding about relationships are just to do stream of consciousness writing with certain topics around relationships, especially this is a really great question. And you have to be able to answer this question, by the way, completely uncensored, being totally honest, being totally authentic, being totally raw. But you could answer based on the sex that you're attracted to. So if you're uh, a woman and you're attracted to men, men are like, and then just put out all the beliefs that you have about men. And if you're a man attracted to women, women are like, and then put all the beliefs you have about women. Relationships are like, and then just stream of consciousness, write everything down. And that will start for you. And the reason I say stream of consciousness is because this cannot be something that your conscious thinking mind, your conscious personality wants to think. It has to be coming from a more authentic place. So that's why you have to do it uncensored, being totally open to whatever comes out. Yeah, even you made a good, it's very important to do this exercise, unfiltered, raw, being really honest, stream of consciousness, don't think too much about it because you don't want to write about how men or women should be or relations should be, the idealized self, what you actually project 
as a layer well, that can covering also be up your... But that could be part of it, though. If you think women should be like this, men right. should be like this. This is like the super egoic like authority in the head saying how men and women should be like. Mm. And then the question is, where did you get that from? So there's two things. Like There can be, for example, men are like dogs or women are bitches, whatever, the negative projections, mm -hmm, negative core mm -hmm, beliefs, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But it, that can be also then overridden by idealized beliefs. Yeah, both. Shadow right. aspects are the golden shadow. Yeah. And I see that a lot, actually. I don't know, for anyone who peruses Twitter from time to time, you constantly hear things about how a feminine woman should be and a masculine woman should, a masculine man should be. And it's based off of, I think, a lot of unconscious expectations on what they expect the opposite sex to be like and the generalizations they've made out of it, which were most likely built from things they experienced or didn't experience in childhood. Yeah. I think just one more thing on this relationship topic, because it really, it's a big one. A lot of people are dealing with it, struggling with it based on these unconscious core beliefs. But with what you just said, to me, it's a huge red flag when anybody talks about anything as women or men should be like especially nowadays you see this whole revival of the christian trad movement traditional movement man should be like this women should be like this or even if this in my view sometimes very oversimplified polarity movement like man should be like this you should be leading the woman should be submissive this should 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 it's like a personality behavior aspect well, yeah, and the, without and going any any deeper and really seeing, uh, really also understanding the uniqueness of each individual and not exactly. generalizing, right? Yeah, and I'm not saying there isn't truth to that. You know, I think it's definitely a response to feminism and the masculinization of women and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, anytime we're making overarching generalizations, generalizations on what people should be like, it's usually in the context of an underlying projection. I mean, there yeah. is some underlying projection or wound that's driving it. So how do you unpack a core belief? So first of all, you have to enter it with a mindset of being open to deconditioning yourself from everything that you, and questioning everything that you picked up from parents, from culture, from the town you grew up in, from the country you grew up in, from the era you grew up in. You have to be open to letting go of all of it. And I know from experience that letting go of all of it basically speaks to the individuation process. And you'll feel like you're in no man's land. You'll mm -hmm. feel very lonely. You'll feel very lost. You'll feel very confused. You'll feel like you don't know who you are at a certain point. And that's actually a good space to be because it proves that you're not proves. It points to the fact that you are perhaps actually deconditioning yourself from patterns that you've picked up from all of those different places. And it's also because these unconscious core beliefs you picked up from childhood, the country you grew up in, environment, community, and all of that are basically aspects of your conditioned false self, which you mistake for your true self. And if you're not aware of it, you become so identified, you don't even realize that they are driving your life. Yeah. And they're not a ba based on authentic self. Mm -hmm. So the more you become aware of it, that's really the process of individuation. You have to go beyond culture, beyond trends, beyond all these, these beliefs you just mechanically may identify with and that are driving your life. Yeah. So I just want to name that working out core beliefs is typically not easy to do because the unconscious mind, which is the part of us that's usually attached to the core beliefs, will experience pain via extreme cognitive dissonance because mm. that unconscious mind is usually very attached to that belief 
for unconscious security reasons. So having that belief gives a feeling of belonging, a feeling of safety, a safety of comfort to be attached to a core belief, even if it's hurting you. Mm. So, so for example, if you're a woman and um, you had a mother who had very negative experiences with men. I mean, I'm kind of speaking to my own experiences, <laughs> but basically had a lot of negative beliefs about men. You will maybe pick up the beliefs that your mother had about men unconsciously in order to belong to her, in order to feel an attachment to her. And even if your conscious mind doesn't want a relationship with her or doesn't like her, it's an unconscious security need. That's the thing we have to look at because the unconscious is driven by security, is driven by patterns, is driven by irrational emotions. So you have to be able to confront that irrational part of yourself that's connected to that belief for security needs. And, you know, once you get into the flavor of your own cognitive dissonance, which is I'm sure many people have over the past few years, you start to realize that when you start to experience that cognitive dissonance when being um, when being presented an idea that you previously had, hadn't considered, it's usually because there's a presence of an unconscious core belief that's being activated in that moment. So it's not easy to do because this unconscious mind will tend to have all sorts of extreme emotional reactions to letting go of this belief, but it's worth it because especially if the belief is not serving you, is not helping you in your life and your relationships is limiting you in some way to really have a more limitless perspective on what is possible in your life and the world that goes beyond everything that you've ever been shown is really freeing and really healing actually as well. So, you know, the deeper that you connect to, to self and connect with your divine self, the more you might realize that you've picked up many beliefs. And there's some really popular ones that I'm going to go into now. So some very popular personal core beliefs that I've seen quite frequently when working with people. One big one is I'm not good enough. So where could this originate from? If you're not really loved for who you are and you're more loved for what you do or an appearance or you're loved for your false self or you're criticized a lot as a child, then usually this is how this belief forms. Um, and I'm going to go into how to heal them in a moment, but I just want to talk a little bit about some of the major ones that I've seen and what where they could be coming from. Okay, another one, which is also stemming from very similar experiences, I'm not worthy of love. So that usually comes from not being loved for who you are unconditionally and rather loved for what you do or what you can do or being loved for a false image. So, you know, again, this is something that points to usually something that happens in early childhood. Yeah, and, and you just said that also that I can relate to that being loved for what you do or performance rather than for just who you are. Yeah. I'm stupid. I mean, being treated like you're stupid, being put down as a child, being told that you're not smart or being criticized, you know, that's a very popular one. There's something wrong with me is another core belief um, where maybe you, I mean, it, this could just be because you're carrying some sort of trauma and you blamed yourself for the experience. Because a lot of the times when we experience faults of our parents, the child internalize that, internalizes that negative experience that this means there's something wrong with me. So my parents are arguing all the time. Somehow it's my fault. And they take on this mistaken belief that this means that there's something wrong with them. 
I'm a bad person. I mean, this can also be a product of authoritarian parenting and being shamed and yelled at and punished and put in your room. I have to be perfect. Again, you know, this addiction to perfection that comes from being with parents who are usually addicted to it and are very hypercritical as well. I can't depend on other people. Um, you know, and these are just ideas. I'm just throwing them out. It could be very different for you where they where it stems from. That belief can often be from being let down, being abandoned, being neglected, and having to do everything on your own. And then learning that being it, you can't rely on other people. Other people are not safe because that was your experience growing up. My needs are not important. Again, can point to neglect or just ha not having your needs met as a child or you know, just any sort of thing where you maybe were caretaking after your family and no one was taking care of you. And it's kind of like the parentified child dynamic where the child ends up having to take on the parent's role and then they put their own needs aside. Um, I don't fit in. I mean, that may be true for you, but then also look at for how this could stemming, be stemming from a lack of belonging, a lack of connection to your own true self. And that could also be stemming from... So if this is belief is pervasive, you'll feel like anywhere you go, you don't fit in. And I've noticed too, with this one, especially it's a disconnection from the true self in many ways, because the belonging happens from within the belonging happens from being connected to your own heart and soul. It doesn't come from like finding people who are exactly like you. I would also add to that before we go into cultural beliefs, you can also have core beliefs not just about yourself unconsciously, but about others. Yes, exactly. Right? This yeah. is a big one, which I want to go deep into also my course on how to create abundance and all of that in alignment of divine will and your true self. Yeah. Because I've noticed a lot of core beliefs I had myself, many people have about successful, rich, wealthy people. Yes. You know, or, you know, a rich person is greedy or uh, they are psych all psychopaths or you have to be poor in order to be spiritual, very distorted spiritual beliefs and yeah. all these core beliefs that tied very much in this, also this matrix poverty scarcity program. And they're really deeply embedded unconscious. And then we rationalize and justify them, all of that. And they've been also conditioned that with, I, not even over the few past hundreds of years, but thousands of years as well. Yeah. So it's also about others. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, cultural beliefs, they are deep. As well, by the way, as you were now, um, listing those core beliefs, I can relate to quite a few of them uh, throughout my life, and we're going to share about how they impacted us shortly. Um, but cultural beliefs, especially nowadays, for example, the doctors, you know, MDs always know what's best for us, right? Yeah. You always have to listen to them without questioning. They absolutely know what's best. You cannot trust your body, but you can trust the doctor. Yeah, so to speak, right? it's like this worship of someone because they hold a perceived position of authority, not really seeing that they're human, they make mistakes. And also, like, you know, if you don't subscribe to the mainstream medical system, it's usually because you've been through an experience where you realize that the doctor didn't know what's best. And I've known many people who have been through very traumatic experiences with mainstream medicine that has led them to the path of alternative healing because they realize they maybe went in initially with the idea that they knew what's best and they led them they basically told them they were making up their symptoms or it was just all in their head or they um, suggested surgery or medication right off the bat so that's a big one that i think a lot of people are confronting lately exactly yeah, especially nowadays 
Then another one, if you want to be successful, you need to go to university or have a degree or college and all of that. That was big, especially around the time I grew up. I was struggling with that. I took that on as well, you know, yeah. from my father especially. You know, he's very big in, in about university, going to uh, getting a degree and all of that. And even my peers, the people I grew up with, everybody went. Um, but these times have changed as well, right? It's not necessary. And again, it's nothing against degrees or university, but it's not... If it's driven by an unconscious core belief and you actually really don't want and your true self is striving towards somewhere else or yeah. your bliss is guiding you to somewhere else, um, then it can interfere actually with your life path. Yeah, I just want to preface that. Like, obviously, if you really have the passion to be a surgeon, then yeah, you're going to have to go to university. But this belief that you can only be successful if you take that path, I think is something that's going to really shatter over the next 20 years, especially with the whole internet boom. And I even remember, wasn't it like Elon Musk was saying, I don't want to hire you if you've been to university at some point? (laughs) That was very interesting, you know, because to me, it's also about... You know, and this is more talking about individuation, but like I think we are going to head into an era where like the degrees don't matter. What matters is your knowledge, is your being, is if you can actually do what you say you're going to do, your work ethic. Like the degree is just like a way of like proofing people. But the real, like I met many people with a degree and who didn't have a degree um, or who had a degree who didn't really know that much and who didn't have a degree who knew way more. So we're going to have to be able to sharpen our tools of discernment in order to filter through that and not just use the letters after a name as a way of verifying people. That's most often the red flag in my view because you're also subjected to highly controlled state-sponsored uh, education. Yeah, right. that's the issue also with university is that um, not only are they asking for certain medical treatments in order to attend, which I think are just like just so super wrong at this point, but they've turned into indoctrination camps. Yes. And um, I've watched many of my friends go into university as very open-minded people and then come out basically spouting the same nonsense. So that's something, you know, that many people talk about, about what's happened to academia. So, okay, here's a big one that you can tell a personal story about this. So it can go either way. Rich and famous people are to be admired or they're to be hated. So you can pick either one. And I've seen people go on either side of the pendulum. Yeah, yeah, it's very much splitting like black and white. And it ties a little bit into uh, golden shadow projection, positive shadow projection, and negative shadow projection as yeah. well, right? Yeah. Either putting people on a pedestal or tearing them down to make yeah. you feel better about yourself, so to speak, right? Um, but how does how does would this tie into core belief culturally? Like because we are trained because we're trained via culture to be like, oh, that person's famous. Mm-hmm. Oh, that person has money. That means they're doing well. I wish yeah. I had their life. You know, you either look up to them or you hate them because of what they have. It's either or. And I see this splitting basically happen in the m- mainstream. I see it happen in the quote unquote spiritual community where they think anyone famous or anyone successful is automatically evil Controlled and they've done up. something wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I see this splitting. So culturally, you know, because we live in a materialistic society, we view markers of success via all external things and we don't actually think about 
who they are internally. Or if we do think about who they are internally, we assume that just because, you know, especially people in the spiritual community, that's because they're rich or successful or famous that there's something wrong with them, you know, so, or they're evil underneath. Like I've seen both of them and that's a cultural belief because as long as we live in this era of materialism, we will worship people who just have money, who have fame. Like that's kind of the sign of the times. And speaking of cultural beliefs, also very important to understand how highly subjective they are and even ties into morality, how it is highly subjective depending on the culture you grew up in. You know, be it Western culture, Asian culture, Middle Eastern culture, right? Yeah. All of that, there's certain things that are appropriate and even encouraged that is a big no-no in in the West, for example. For even a silly example, you know, burping after a meal, I know in in certain Eastern cultures is a a sign of um, basically that you really enjoy the meal it's a high compliment to the cook while in the more western world it's like a big no-no and can be even offensive and is disgusting yeah and, and even many many other things and even with the rich and famous one you know the, the to admire or hate them that's so dominant especially in american canadian culture I, I don't i'm not sure i think i think it's the same in the uk i don't know about germany but you know this is a very pervasive one across multiple cultures yeah. like we have whole industries of magazines that are built off of this admiration hate thing. And we have all of these, you know, instead of looking at people as individuals, we just think, oh, they're famous. So therefore they're Illuminati and they're evil. If you're in the conspiracy crowd, oh, or, or if you're in a consensus mainstream, you're like, oh, he's famous and rich. Therefore I wish I could be like them, you know? Well, this ties into what you also want to go deep into uh, the little workshop and doing how we equate success automatically with money and fame. So yes. anybody who has money and fame equals success. This is, an, this is a core belief, right, that drives a lot of people's behaviors and actions and not question what it is truly based on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you want to tell a personal story about yeah. your own core beliefs, and then we can tell people how to how to that you how they could unpack a core belief. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that stood out the most when I actually accidentally came across an unconscious core belief I had without even knowing what core beliefs were. And that was sometime in the late nineties. I was around, um, 30 years old or something or late twenties. And I remembered clearly to this day, I had a Spanish, good friend, Spanish roommate back then. We were really great friends and artist. And, you know, sometimes at night we would like be in the kitchen and talk and get into philosophy at great conversations. And we were definitely high on cannabis <laughs> that one night, once again, having intense philosophical talks about art, life and all of that. And I remember my friend because he's so full of life and uh, very like passionate and enjoying life and really healthy self-confidence very well almost uh, actualized already early on in his life and really admired him, was even partly jealous at him. And I was talking to him and we had a great connection. But in that moment, I realized all of a sudden that there's something with, you know, I had this great moment of being really happy and like enjoying the moment and being in the flow. And then I realized, oh my God, there's something in me that came up. This won't last, you know, this good moment won't last. Something bad will happen. There's something else to worry about. Tomorrow I have to do this and this. And then I was became objectively aware of this thought. I was interfering with the present moment and how it's actually been writing my life, even having memories back to my childhood when I used to go to the movie theater with my dad and my preteens. We had like a little thing going once a month to the movie theaters together. And I loved that always Sundays. 
and I enjoyed the moment. But in the middle of the movie, sometimes I would like worry. Am I? Oh my god! Tomorrow I have to go to school and this and like and I couldn't enjoy the moment. So what would you think was, an, if you were to name the core belief, is what, it something bad is going to yeah, happen? The core belief that I realized when I was talking to my friend in the kitchen, it came up that there's something within me that doesn't deserve to be happy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't deserve to be happy. Yeah, like this shouldn't be, if you're happy, like this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be happening. Something's going to go wrong. Exactly. This something yeah, bad yeah. is going to happen. This this can't be the right. Other, the other shoe is going to drop, as yes, they say. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a very interesting core belief that I see has been uh, writing, have been, now as I had this realization, I realized how, uh, you know, obviously the curtain is pulled from my eyes and I said, oh my God, this has been so prevalent. So where do you think that could have been coming from? I'm still unpacking that. I would say a lot of it maybe from my mother used to be very, has very anxiety driven, you know. She's very worried, right? She's very yeah, worried, yeah. you know, that my mom can be extremely worried. So that I had that unconscious worry, which also means, oh my God, I, I can't trust this moment. I can't enjoy it. Something else I need to do or yeah, you need to be hypervigilant. Hypervigilant, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it was so unconscious, deep ingrained that it was something that was embedded in me in early childhood just by tuning into the energy, excuse me, of my mom rather than yeah. Of saying anything. Yeah, exactly. Because your mom wires your nervous system. And if your mom is stressed out all the time, then the baby's going to be stressed out all the yeah. time and, and hypervigilant because the mom is supposed to be the source of safety for the child. Exactly. And then I've seen even later in my life, it still comes up that I sometimes get into overly worry mode, mm -hmm. like even sometimes catastrophizing, like very mechanically, not based on reality and sometimes irrational. Yeah. It comes up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that was that was really big, and you know, as one at that moment, you really have to really trace it back and also confront feelings you may have, you know, not suppressed. And it's what I'm trying to say is you cannot just override it with positive affirmations, right? No. This is kind of like you know the new age way of just having smiling in the mirror and just I deserve this moment, I deserve to be happy, and all of this and smiley face and just forcing yourself to be the opposite on a conscious level. Yeah, doesn't work. In yeah. my experience, because it's so deep embedded, not only your subconscious, but embedded in your body. Yeah, exactly. Somatically. Yeah. And in that case, you know, what you could try doing is try to strengthen your capacity to take in and be with the happy moments, you know, because that's a big thing for people who have this feeling of like the other shoe is going to drop, something's going to go wrong. You know, it's like their mind orients towards worrying thoughts and stressful thoughts more than it's able to orient towards positive feelings and take that in. So they need to almost expand their capacity to take in enjoyment, to take in happiness yes. and be with that. Playfulness, you know? exactly. Exactly. And just expand. Like, so when you notice a good feeling coming up, notice it in your body, tune into the feeling and the sensation of it and see how long you can stay with that before you go into a worry thought. And when you do go into a worry thought, you know, don't just p suppress it away and pretend it's not happening. Allow yourself to do it for a few seconds and then pendulate, which means go back into the feeling of the happiness and being like, okay, I allowed myself to worry for five seconds. Let me see if I can expand back into that feeling of happiness and joy in yeah, the moment. Exactly. And you know what also really helped me in this process when I learned about IFS, internal family systems, mm -hmm. because that worry part was like a manager trying to hold on you cannot have too much fun running. You need to watch this and this and that. Yeah. And the man, I have a strong manager within me, so to speak. That's a part in, in IFS that plays its its purpose. It helped me a lot in my life, but it's sometimes overriding 
myself, my yeah. true self in essence. Yeah. I need to re be reeled back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so basically just to kind of break down what happened in the moment and how people can work with a core belief. And then I can share a little bit about myself is that in order to unpack the core belief in the moment, you had to first notice your feelings. You had to notice your thoughts about the feelings. And then you had to almost trace back that feeling to something that was familiar to you. So you were able to notice, oh, wow, I'm feeling happy. And then all of a sudden, I think that something wrong is going to happen. And then you notice how immediately your mind goes to worry. And then it also reminded you of this experience when you were a child, when you were going to a movie, when you were just worried about the movie ending because you're going to have to go to school tomorrow. So yeah. this takes like several layers of self-inquiry where you have to first be able to notice what you're feeling. So this is like having the awareness of your body and your emotional body and the sensations going on with it to indicate what you're feeling. And then that will help you access the unconscious mind too, because getting into the feeling first gives you a connection into the unconscious mind. If you just try and do it with the mind, you're only most likely going to be working with conscious orientations. And for many people do, I, I actually do hear them consciously speak out their beliefs as well. So don't think that it's just primarily in the unconscious mind. They may not know that this is a core belief, but it's happening consciously. So for example, you know, I hear this all the time, like men are narcissistic or women are narcissistic, replace whatever gender you want, you know, and people have this belief that's usually imprinted in them because they've had a negative experience in relationships that's painted all their other relationships and then they expect that. So, um, but first you have to get into the feeling and you have to be able to inquire how far back does this go? Um, and once you get into the feeling, what I do is I ask myself, so say if I'm really upset and emotional about something and I have an inkling or just even curiosity if there's a core belief underneath it. So once you tune into the feeling, asking the feeling, what do I believe about myself when I feel this way? Or what do I believe about the world when I feel this way? So for example, you know, if you are in a situation that's an uncomfortable social situation and you feel like you um, maybe said the wrong thing and you kind of stepped on, slipped on your words and you feel like people are just responding in a negative way and not accepting you, asking yourself, okay, what, and, I, and I'm like, oh, wow, I feel very scared. I feel very sad. What do I believe about myself when I feel this way? Well, it could be possible that you believe that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, that you don't fit in. What could you believe about the world when you feel that way? The world is not a friendly place. People don't like me, you know, and then seeing how far back that these certain beliefs go. Yeah. On that note, I was exactly doing that self-inquiry with my own belief, this experience. I don't deserve to be happy with whatever's coming up. Uh, I'm in the worry thought and what came up is actually going another deeper layer that, oh, I'm not safe. Life is not safe. Yes. You need to be very hypervigilant. You know, you cannot trust life, which then uncovered a deeper generational ancestral belief. Yeah. Underlying the head. Yeah. Which we will talk more about in the second hour. Yeah. So, you know, just, so I, I don't know, I kind of shared a story of mine as well, but I can share a personal story as well. I mean, the majority of my core beliefs were about relationships and how I realized that this was showing up in my life is that I was consciously or maybe unconsciously, but I was consciously or somewhat 
drawn to people who weren't emotionally available, who didn't want the kind of relationship that I was in, um, who didn't match me in values in any way whatsoever. And yet these were the people that I was attracted to. And so when I did deeper work on this, especially, I mean, you have to really go back to your childhood for these relational dynamics, because from those ages zero to seven that you were saying, and I would even stretch it quite beyond, you know, that's when you're really templating your attachment relationships and what relationships should be like. And, you know, in my case, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty clear because my parents had a divorce when I was very young at a very critical age, around four or five. It was a very aggressive divorce. Um, they never liked each other. They were always at odds with each other. So, of course, I would choose unconsciously guys who wouldn't match me in my values, who weren't right for me, because then that would give me the same result that I got in my childhood of constantly battling with your partner, of feeling like you didn't have anything in common with them because you didn't, because you chose them unconsciously, of picking emotionally unavailable people where it would just be a struggle the whole time. And so I really had to, and not only that, you know, I was raised by someone who identified themselves as a feminist, my own mother, and she had a lot of unconscious beliefs about men in general that I picked up. And I also picked up from various feminist literature. So mm -hmm. that was a cultural layer, I guess you could say. Um, and that was also supported by even in my late teens and 20s being surrounded by similar people who were into the same feminist literature. So you can see how that personal belief that happened in my early childhood with my parents' divorce then led me to a cultural group that kind of supported my negative beliefs about men, about relationships in a way. And that's kind of how it can get almost, it can kind of repeat itself over time. It's like even the different books and stuff that you may be drawn to may just be validating that unconscious core belief. So that I had to, I had to really question everything. I had to question everything I had read. I had questioned everything I had been taught. I had to also question everything that I had seen in relationships and what really helped me, it was a big turning point for me, is seeing and orienting my attention to when I saw examples of healthy relationships and really pointing that out in myself. I'm really pointing that out in my life when I saw it. And I remember this guy I knew had parents who like stayed together. They were spiritual together. They seemed like they really loved each other, had been together for decades. And I remember observing them and I was like, wow, I've never seen this before. And it really opened my mind to the possibility that this could be possible, that this can actually happen. And this is available. And, you know, I had to do a lot of work after kind of seeing that example to unpack what, what, why, why I was driven towards these men and really unpack like what was guiding me. And I had to also get really clear about, you know, the kind of relationships that I was drawn to versus the kind of relationships that I wanted and look at all of the patterns within me that were drawing me to the relationships that I didn't want to be in. So that had to do with a lot of attachment stuff too. So of those relationship unconscious negative core beliefs, which I feel many people are also dealing with, um, you obviously also then rejected relationships that were healthy. They sabotaged them, the yes, exactly. self-sabotaged yes. them. So in, this, in the story, as you share it, was there a particular moment when you realized, oh my God, I have these unconscious core beliefs? Was there something like an epiphany, aha moment, or, or that kind of revealed itself over time? 
Um, yeah, I think it revealed itself slowly over time. There's definitely a few aha moments within it. Like, um, I, at one point I really realized that how I read this book, I think it was called, um, the journey from abandonment to healing and this other book about boundaries. And I really learned about self abandonment and having to Mm -hmm. abandon yourself in order to be in a relationship. And, you know, I did, I did a lot of research and I, and it was mainly through pain, actually. Like if you are in a cycle of very unhealthy relationship dynamics, it's painful and it's extremely painful, the more unhealthier it is. And so I had to really realize through my own healing work and through orienting towards joy and happiness that this was not working out for me, that this was taking me back to the past. And I really had to do something about it. And also, you know, not only did I have to do various body work, somatic work, psychological work, I worked with various healers and therapists, I did ayahuasca, I did everything, right? Um, is that I had to realize that I had to just start saying no to people and questioning my attractions to people. I think that's a big tool of discernment is like, before you get into relationship, really work on yourself and your self-love. It was really from self-love. Like I was willing to give myself away to people who were interested in me because I lacked self-love. And that was really Uh, a dominant pattern in my relationship. So, you know, I think it's really, I think this is a really long process that, because keep in mind, this happened to me very early. It literally happened between the ages of zero to seven. Like I'm sure my parents weren't happy even before the divorce and it was very messy after. So these were really critical years that were driving my patterns of behavior, you know? And I think it's a slow unraveling, almost like an onion, because even when we got together, I had to really orient myself to being like, okay, this is safe. You can relax now. You don't, the war is over, you know? Yeah, but even though, sorry, it's just in our relationship, but I remember also, you know, our unconscious core beliefs came up as well. Yeah, of course, exactly. Which was as part of the work, Exactly. So that's what I'm trying to say is that it's not like you just do, read a book or go to see a therapist (laughs) for a little while or whatever and it's cured like this is something that you're going to practice in action in your relationships because we will constantly especially in the relational dynamic we will project those core beliefs and those perceptions onto our partners until we realize the truth of reality and until we actually get evidence that it's not true basically and so and then on on the contrary too is we can constantly look for evidence that it's true and even find it even when it's not. So if you have someone who's very loyal, who's very loving and very caring, but all you've known is abuse and abandonment and betrayal, then you will still, and you haven't healed that, you'll still look for the abuse and the abandonment and betrayal, even in the nice and loving person, because that's what your conscious mind and conscious mind wants and knows and feels is safe. So there's a lot of different layers to unpack with this. Um, it's really important to get into the feeling first. It's really important to ask yourself, what do I believe about myself or what do I believe about the world when I feel this way? And just being open to challenging every single thing that you've picked up about yourself and the world and the way that life is and just challenging it all. Like it's really limitless how many of our beliefs are actually holding us back in so many ways. Exactly. And the key point, this is not just a mental exercise. You just make a mental inventory and just, oh, this belief need to change. I'm going to just think differently. 
that can easily fall into spiritual bypassing or just overestimating yourself because it needs to be, as Laura just alluded to, really approached integrally, holistically on all levels, psychologically, also emotionally, physically, somatically, in the body. I noticed a lot, I'm storing a lot of unconscious core beliefs in my body. I knew this when I was working as a professional uh, massage therapist and body worker for over 15 years, and I've received the work a lot when I was stuck in my core beliefs, was driving me very frantic, worried, and whatnot, just um, lost in them, so to speak. I would get some deep body work. It would just resolve, and just my memories come up, came up where I was attaching to. So in other words, these unconscious core beliefs are also stored in the body, yes. in your, literally in your tissue, in your organs, where your whole tension and all of that, it grabs because your body is, has an intelligence to it as it is highly aware and it takes on every belief that is manifest in the body and hence the work needs to be done somatically. And I think also what's happening, just to add on to what you just said, um, because what we go into in Embodied Soul Awakening, which I'm right about to do the, the material for, is we talk about Uranus and the chart and how it creates this field of memory around you. And so, you know, yeah. you have this kind of field, personal individuated field of consciousness which is imprinted by all of your lifetimes, even your ancestors and the cult, you know, the ancestral lineage that you born born in. And that field of consciousness affects your beliefs, the thoughts you have, the body that you the body symptoms that you create. So it's not necessarily the body creating it, but the field of consciousness is creating it in the body. Yes, exactly, exactly. So So yeah, we go the, way deeper in this in, in this process in our program, the time of transition. Yes. And go to, you can check it out at thetimeoftransition.com. Exactly. So in the right. second hour, we're going to really talk about the beliefs from ancestors. We're going to talk about beliefs from certain Pluto generations as well and how those show up. And, um, you know, just kind of the different things that can repeat across lifetimes, across yeah. different um, lineages as well. And we'll just dive much deeper into this topic. Okay, excellent. And for anybody who's not a member yet and want to have access to the second hour, you can sign up to the membership at my website, veilofreality.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>